Good morning. Good to be here. Been in Tassie for a few weeks, and uh, I was checking the weather. It was actually colder here. I took three coats to Tassie, thinking that's how many you would need. I only had to use one. I was a bit disappointed in that. Anyway, we're doing Romans. I hope you've been reading the book. Now, Romans is a very important book in the New Testament. I know that Josh uh, mentioned that. Biblical scholars say it's head and shoulders above any of the other other letters that Paul wrote, all the other epistles. It's it's got a few things about it that makes it unique. They say it was written before Paul actually went to visit Rome. Paul had intended to maybe have a little trip. Check out Rome. It didn't actually work out like that. That's not how he got there, but nevertheless, he got there eventually. But he wrote this letter before he had visited Rome, and it was written in AD 56. I need you to remember that number. What number was it? Thank you. AD 56. It's going to be important later on in my message. AD 56. Now, the other thing about Rome, which was interesting, the church at Rome, wasn't, wasn't planted by Paul. So Paul didn't know what those believers actually knew, what they'd been told. In fact, from what we can gather about uh, the church at Rome, it wasn't planted by any apostle. You know, Peter didn't go, John didn't go and plant it. It wasn't even planted by a, a leading disciple, you know, like a Philip or, or, or somebody like that, a Barnabas or, or a Titus. Nobody like that. So they, we're not sure... Well, they're not certain, I should say. They're not certain how the church at Rome was established. They believe that perhaps it was after Pentecost, you know, there were Jewish people there from Rome and then the Holy Spirit descended, people believed and they went back and so they think that's how it probably started. That's important to remember too. It's also not your typical epistle, which means letter, um, Paul wasn't uh, responding to a letter that came to him or an inquiry that came to him about any problems in the church. Wouldn't it be good, Josh, to have the Apostle Paul that we could write to when we get those little email problems from our congregation? Now, so it wasn't that sort of letter. Uh, and Romans is a, an important book theologically and some people say the most important book theologically in the New Testament because, and this is the reason they give us, because it is as close as possible to a systematic presentation of Christian theology that you'll find anywhere in the, the New Testament. So Paul more or less thought, you know what, never been to Rome, not sure who started that little church, I think I'll write them a statement of faith. And so he sat down and he worked his way through what he thought perhaps that's, this is what the believers in, in Rome should be believing, be thinking about. St. Augustine, great church uh, founder, uh, early church uh, founder and writer, was converted to Christ through the book of Romans. The Reformation, the new... The new uh, the Protestant Reformation came about through Martin Luther's 
understanding of the book of Romans. The great revival in England and Great Britain was through John Wesley was 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 initiated. John Wesley was sort of woken up by the book of Romans and therefore all that great teaching and and uh, work that was done at that time, Book of Romans. And John Calvin, another great church, uh, a former, uh, great past church leader and writer and theologian said, when anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage or a path open to him to understand the whole scripture. Interesting book. Very important. I like Romans because it sets out and answers all the objections that a person could have about about God, about salvation, about grace, about sin and the need of the gospel. Sets it out and answers them. Now I'm not saying that everything that we're going to look at in the book of Romans together over the next 20 weeks is going to be easy to understand. You know, do you realise that the apostle Peter in his epistle said, you know that fellow Paul, you know the apostle Paul, he writes some really deep stuff. And even I had trouble understanding it. So if you have trouble understanding everything that's in Romans, that's okay. It's okay. We're going to try and help you help and explain it to you. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will help you as well. But don't be too discouraged because even the Apostle Peter had, had struggles with some of the things that Paul wrote. Now I'm not suggesting that we're going to like everything that we're going to read and study and discuss in the book of Romans either. There's some pretty heavy stuff there, pretty controversial stuff. Very challenging. But it will challenge us, inform us and encourage us and set us straight as to what God wants us to know, which is very important. So having said that, today's topic is the wrath of God. It would make a great movie title, wouldn't it? The wrath of God. Actually, there is a movie, an old movie about that. Nothing to do with Romans. But also make, I was thinking about it, also make a great uh, video game, wouldn't it? You know, the wrath of God. Yeah, see, look, see? Yeah, he thinks so. But you know, we, we can laugh about it, but this is serious stuff. This is a serious topic, the wrath of God. So the first thing that we have to uh, look at is this passage together. So we're going to look at it going to read it together. If you, there's a Bible in the back of the seat there. should be 720, the page that we're going to be reading from. So I know we've got a few different ones. But 720. I hope you've got your Bible. I'm going to ask you to follow it with me. And through the sermon, I'm going to ask you to underline, circle or mark certain phrases which are really, really important. So let's start and read together from... Well, when I say read, uh, together, I mean I'll read, you follow. From chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God 
is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain, plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, But their thinking had become futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men, man, birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degradation of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with one with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since we did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They destroy their parents, disobey, they disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That's a tough passage to do, isn't it? Tough passage. But I'm going to be faithful to this text, hopefully within the time limit that's allotted. What is wrath? Definition, here it is. Strong, stern anger. Deeply resentful indignation. The second meaning is vengeance or punishment as a consequence of anger. And we think of wrath. We think of someone who's mean, angry, vengeful and and abusive and seeking out to do harm the wrath of anyone 
When we look at man's history, that's what, that's what comes across. But they're the two definitions. So which of those two is, is the wrath of God? Interestingly enough, when you look at the Greek word, it's a combination of both. It's a combination of both. God is outraged. You can hear that, can't you, from this passage. God is outraged at man's sinfulness. Absolutely outraged. And, 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 and it's a fierce, it's not, oh, I'm upset. It's not like that. It's a strong outrage. And there's a consequence. There's a consequence of that anger. That's why it's a combination of two. So why is God angry? Why is he so angry? It tells us very straight up. It tells us straight up. It says there that God is revealing this anger, this wrath. He's not keeping it quiet. You know, sometimes when you upset your wife, and you, you know you've done something wrong, guys. You know, you know you've done something wrong. What's wrong? What do I do? No, nothing. <laughs> but you know, you know she's angry. And you know, but she won't tell you, because you know, we guys, we do a lot of dumb things. Yeah, yeah, that's, see? See? Yeah, that's right. We do a lot of dumb things, so we're not sure what we're angry, what she's angry about. And it does take a while before she tells us. Anyway, God's not like that. Praise God. God is clearly revealing to us why he's angry. So there's no misunderstanding. We don't get it wrong. God reveals to us from heaven his wrath. And here it is. This is why. Because of the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So... Godlessness means not only neglecting God and a relationship with God, but actually it means it, it means outright rebellion. Wanting nothing to do, knowing he's there, wanting nothing to do with God. And the wickedness. Wickedness means injustice relating to our conduct toward other human beings. That's interesting, isn't it? So God's not just upset by the way we were treating him, but he's angry. Fiercely angry, it says, doesn't it? The way we, we, we interact and treat each other. When he looks down, he's thinking, this is not how it should be. This is not what I had planned. This is not what was in my mind. And he's angry. And he's also angry because of the suppression of the truth. God is truth. Whatever God says is true. And, and where it says there, he, he's, 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 he's angry because of those who suppress the truth by their wickedness. When I was reading about this, some of the theologians had this, this, these, these ideas of what that, how that looked. Suppress the truth is the idea of a man struggling, struggling, right, to hold down the lid of a container, to keep it closed, 
but struggling to keep it closed so that whatever is inside cannot escape. That's a great picture, isn't it? That's why I chose it. I, I, could picture, I could picture this person trying to keep the lid on. You know what it reminded me of? You know when I was a kid, now this is a long time ago, right? We had Marchant's Lemonade. Remember Mar- Betty, where are you, Betty? Yes, Marchant's You know the twist top at the top? You know, if you, if you didn't, if you put the bottle down too hard or you, you, you were too, too agitated as the kids are, you know, getting the bottle and you put it on the table and you know and you go to turn it and all of a sudden that li- that lid's not off it's not off but the lemonade's coming out and you know you panic and you try to you try to get that march and twist everyone's laughing because we've all done it us old people no, not you cat not you but us old people we've all done it and that's what it reminded me of how hard was it to keep what wanted to come out because that's what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to come out. And that's what God is saying. He, he, he's angry because there are people. Mankind is trying to keep the truth from coming out. Now I can understand God being angry about that. Another theologian said, sin keeps the world from working the way God intended it to. That's how he put it. He put God has a way in which the world should be operating, how we should be living with one another. And there are people who are stopping that from happening, suppressing. I thought that was good too. And then finally there was another person who said, God's truth is about a particular... When God's truth about a particular area of life starts to assert itself and makes them feel guilty, they suppress it, they stop it from coming out. So that's the, that's the picture that you get when it talks about the suppression. Suppression of truth here in, in this passage, it says, it says, since God had made it plain to them because he, he, because God has made it plain, implies a knowledge of the truth. They know it's the truth. They know that's what should be happening. They know that's what God desires and they're keeping it, a lid on it. They're suppressing it. They're stopping it from coming out, stopping it from happening, putting into action. God is angry because we know and we reject. That's why there's the wrath of God. We know and we reject. Look back at history. Look back at the history of man. Have a look at the papers. Have a look at what's on the news. Have a look at what's on Facebook. It's still happening. And God made it plain. I love that. I love, God, God, is, God isn't sort of making things up. He's saying God has made it plain to us that he exists and he has a plan and a purpose and he wants it implemented. Implemented. Verse 20 says, here is the evidence. For since the creation of the world, I love that too. Since when? From the beginning. Right from the beginning. And I thought about that, brothers and sisters. I thought about, have a listen to this. Before you and I, or mankind, was, was, was created, 
God had made everything else. Everything else. And then he created man and he put man in the garden. So it was there even before we were. God had it all worked out. He says, I'm going to do all this and when they look at it, they'll know who did it. Made it clear and plain. Clearly seen. It says there in in, uh, those verses. And there's four aspects of this evidence that's really important. First of all, it's clearly seen. In other words, you cannot miss it. You can't. We were in, we were in Launceston. I've been taught how to say that properly. Launceston for for 13 nights. Now, I don't know if you you noticed this, but it was a big thing in, in Launceston. The airport was closed for two days in a row because of fog. Anyway, one of the days we were we decided to go down to uh, to Hobart for the Salamanca market. It was foggy, wasn't it? It was a weird experience driving through these big patches of fog, you know. So you're driving along, you can't see anything, and all of a sudden, you know, like it happened in fog, you come through the other side, and bang! What an amazing scene! Unbelievable! You couldn't help but be inspired. It was just paddocks and hills and trees and, 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 and bits of water and animal, but it was just amazing because all the way, you know, you couldn't see, and all of a sudden, bang, there it was. The glory of God, the beauty of it, the amazing thing about it. It's always been like that, guys, always. God planned it like that. You cannot go out into nature. You can't have a holiday and experience the the coast or the bush, the mountains, whatever, without being inspired by it, being touched by it. You can't. If you're a surfer, you love, look at those waves, man, look at the waves. If you're a naturalist, you think, look at those little birdies, you know, the colours. Have you you seen the colours of some of these parrots that fly around Montmorency? Unbelievable! And it all works, doesn't it? I mean, if I was to draw a parrot and colour it, it would look stupid. But it all works, doesn't it? Clearly seen. But there's more. Listen to this. God says, by looking at that, it's meant to be understood. It's not just meant to, oh, that's nice. It's meant to be understood. Somebody planned this. Somebody designed this. Somebody thought about that colour scheme for that parrot. It's meant to be understood. I don't know where people get this Mother Nature thing from. You look at, oh, there's a Mother Nature, wonderful. Who is Mother Nature? I didn't do that in biology. It's God. God's the creator. And he did it for a purpose. And, and it's constant. It's always been there. It was, as I said, it was there before we were. And it's going to be there until God winds up everything up. It'll be right there, staring you in the, right in the face. And it is, and it's a limited testimony too, because all it does is show you that God exists, God is powerful, God is intelligent. But it doesn't tell you how much God loves you. 
It doesn't tell you the grace that God has and the mercy he's extending to mankind. You have to go to other places to find out that. But it does what God intended it to do. Makes you stop and think, who did this? Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that no matter how primitive a civilization is, you know, a tribe that's been found somewhere in Africa or, you know, somewhere in, in, in South America, no connection with the education system of, of the West or anything like that, yet they know somebody made that sun. Was it me? Somebody made the, the, the water and all the, and the tree. They all know they worship and understand there is a creator. That was the purpose of it. Why? Verse 20 tells us, so that men, I want you to underline that, even if it is the church pew, pew bowl, it doesn't matter, it's important, so that men will have no excuse. I, 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 I smile at people say, oh, when I get to heaven, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have it out with, with the Lord. I'm going to debate with him and I'm going to... That's what it says. No excuse. How are you going to, how are you going to argue with God when you say, you never showed yourself to me? You went to Lawn? You went to Ayers Rock? You went to the Grand Canyon? Where were all those other places? Yeah? That, that, that little parrot that you kept feeding at the back at the back door of your place, you know? No excuse. And it's really interesting for us to, to think about this when we talk to people about the Lord, about God. Because even in a sin marred world, in a sin marred creation, and I had, I had some vision for different things. I knew I wouldn't have enough time. There are Nobel Prize winning scientists who testify, who are Christians, because they've come to know and understand this did not happen by accident. There was an intelligent design. There was almighty power necessary to bring things about. And the beauty... And the control of different forces of nature and, 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 and science have to be exactly right for things to exist, for things to happen. And, and if you have time, I'd love to talk to you about that a bit more. I haven't got the time to, to go into great depth here about that. But despite, in verse 21, despite this knowledge that God has, has conveyed to us through creation to help us think about these things, people have still failed to act on it. Even today. Okay, what was that date? AD 56. Paul wrote this in AD 56. He was talking about the people that were living then. And he was talking about the people that were living back past his date. AD 56, we're at AD 2019, brothers and sisters, and nothing has changed. 
That's why this is an important book. This is why Paul starts here. You know, interesting how he didn't go straight into the gospel. He says there in verse 17, you know, talks about a gospel of righteousness from God is revealed, but he doesn't talk about that next because he wants to show to us why that gospel is so necessary so that we are without any excuse, no doubts as to why God says we're sinful. The wrath of God. God's also angry because of the... Um, what did I have on here? Okay. He's also angry because, because of, of the, the, the fact that we've exchanged this truth that he's given us for a lie. That's what it says in verse 20, 20, uh, 22. Although we, we, mankind, claims to be wise... We become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds, animals and reptiles. You know, we went to Salamanca Market. There's quite a few of those, you know, weird stalls, you know, and, and you know, people dress funny and, and you go past the thing, the, the, the little stand smells funny because they've got this stuff burning. But you, you poke fun at them, but I, I, we're all the same. We all worship something, but not God. Mankind always worships something, if not God. Because God made us in a way so that we would worship him. But he gives you a choice to do that. And when you choose not to worship God, there's a void. There's something missing. How often have you heard that? Something missing in my life. A Lamborghini. No. And that void is filled with an idol. Not necessarily of wood or stone. Or, 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 I don't think it was ivory. It might have been something else that I saw on those stalls. Sometimes that, that, that idol is, is joining the, the green movement. Mother Nature, she's your idol. And sometimes it's, it's save the planet movement, that's your idol. Now don't get me wrong. God says we need to look after this little, little planet of ours. He's given man a responsibility to, to, to look after and care for it. They're not to worship it. That's dif- there's a difference, you know. We create idols with money and power, our jobs, our careers, our leisure. Sometimes that's what we live for, the next holiday. I have to confess, while I was on the boat coming back, I already got the, uh, the brochures for my next trip to Tassie. I don't know. But I don't worship Tasmania. I don't worship idols. I don't worship leather. I worship the Lord. There's a difference. You know, the reason that God is angry is because we are making God in our image instead of it being the other way around. Man was made in the image of God. 
That's why we worship him. So we get down to verse 24 and that word, therefore. Therefore. It takes us right back to verse 18, that word, therefore. Back to the wrath. Back to the revelation of that wrath. And it, and it tells us that because of that, the deliberate exchange and rebellion, we see the downward spiral of man. And there's a little phrase in verse 24. Feel free to underline or circle it. It says, Therefore God gave them over. That phrase comes up three times between verse 25 and in verse 26. I don't think that's right. Yes, it is. Verse 26. It comes up three times. That's why I'd like you to, to point, to underline it. You see, if it had been me, the therefore would have been followed by fire and brimstone. Send out the army of angels. You know, that's how I would have handled it. That would have been the consequence of the wrath of wrath. That's got a good sound. No, that's what it would be. But God's not like that. It's interesting, isn't it? Ever wondered why the world is the way it is? People accuse God of, of, of it being like this. Why doesn't God do something? How does God allow that? The first thing God says here is that in verse 24, God gave them over to their sinful desires. What, what does that little phrase, turn, uh, give, uh, give God gave them over, mean? How, how do you explain that? Well, this is a, a couple of, of ways that uh, people have uh, explained it. Uh, he took his hands off and let willful, the willful rejection of himself produce the ugly results in human life. Another person said it allows them to do, to do it, not to stop it by, by us making choices against his will. But I, I preferred to explain it to you this way. Do you remember the little parable the Lord talked about, the prodigal son? Do you remember that? Yeah. There was a father there. He had a son. And the son probably got to maybe 17, maybe 18, and thought, right, I know everything. I don't think you need to tell me what to do. And he may have, uh, you know, arced up, talked back to his dad. And he said, you know, you know the story. I want my bit. I'm going to go and live the way. I don't want to work the farm. And I can just imagine him, you know, Slackening off on doing the, the, the farm work. You know, the hole in the fence, and it, well, it hasn't been fixed yet. Oh, look, I'll get to it. Oh, who cares about the hole in the fence? And you know the story, don't you? What did the father do? Did he hit him with a stick? No. Ground him? No. Take away privilege? No. Okay. I mean, I can see this had been going on for a long time. And the father said, fine. Here you go. Here's your share of the thing. Where you go. That's taking the hands off. You could lead the story there. But I want to point out something too. The father was waiting for this guy, this son, to come back. 
It's what that he didn't care. And I can imagine, because I'm a father, and I know what it's like, you know, these kids do stuff. Even as adults, you worry about them, Con, don't you? You worry about your kids. And you're anxious for them. And I can just see this father being anxious about this son going down to the city with all that money. And you know the story. Eventually the kid, you know, probably had a good time for the first week or two or three. It didn't last. Ended up sleeping and eating with the pigs. When the son realised that he'd done wrong and he came back, what was the father's attitude? Now, you know, I'm not saying that I've done this to my girls, but I told you, didn't I say? That wasn't the attitude of the father, was it? Because he loved his son. Irrespective of what he'd done, what he'd said, and what he didn't do. He embraced him. That's where we're at with God. Except most of us haven't realised where we're at and haven't headed back yet. So God isn't not caring. He's just allowing you to... You want to do that? Fine. God isn't punishing you. You say, oh, you want to do that? Okay, so the things that happen are the natural consequences of doing and living the life like that. In verse 25, it says says there uh, that God gave them over to shameful lusts, to immorality, the perversion of the sexual relationship. This is a tough thing to talk about in a few minutes. If you want to know more about this, please come and see me afterwards. If not today, I'm free this afternoon, tomorrow, whenever. But I'm going to say this, that that the gift of sex is a God-given gift. God gave us that gift. He gave it to us to enjoy. And it is. It's enjoyable. God gave us God gave us gave it to us so so that, that we could procreate and, 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 and have babies and populate the earth and all those things. It's a very intimate act between a, a man and a woman. In fact, in fact, the Bible doesn't say it like that. It's a very intimate act between a husband and wife. And even though God gave us that wonderful gift of sex, and it's meant to be enjoyed, he has set a boundary, a parameter around it. Now, I read about this many years ago. This guy said, Christian guy said, and he was an American, so he used corral. God corrals it. And, and he says, but it's not a pen. It's not a pen. And, I, and, and, and he described it, and I thought, that's, that's like those pictures in the outback, you know, where you go out and, and, there's a, and you can't even see the fence in the paddock. We call it a paddock. You can't see the fence, but it's there, isn't it? The cattle, the sheep, can go anywhere in that big paddock, but not past the fence. And God has given us the gift of sex to work in the the paddock of marriage, the boundaries of marriage. And because, 
And because of our sinful and selfish desires and our, 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 our neglecting of God, God says, fine. You don't want to do it my way? Do it any way you like. And so we see the denial of the God-given male and female aspect of mankind. And we see the sin distorting the truth where we see it in all of God's creation of male and female. It's a God-given pattern. The Creator designed it that way. And he talks about the natural and the unnatural. I'm not talking about nature, the normal, the unknown, the way it was meant to be and the way it's not meant to be. You want to talk to me about that later? Please do. It says there also that there's a penalty for that. And the, God, the, the, the wrath of God isn't fire and brimstone. It's not even, even a disease, but it's the abandonment of God. And we can see that in society today. We've just gotten worse. We're not happy with this little thing, this little concession. We push it and we push it and we push it. That's why there was such an objection a resistance to have the same-sex marriage thing passed. We were warned. People that were wise warned us it wouldn't stop there. And it hasn't. Has it? It's not science fiction. It's not fiction. This is the truth. And what's happening to the truth? Suppression. Verses 28 to 32, my time's gone. Very quickly, it continues the downward spiral of mankind. It says there that, that in verse 28, it's a, this is a very sad verse. I've read this verse time and time and time again in the last few weeks. I know it's always been there, I've known it. But I, let me read it to you again. Furthermore, since we did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do to do what ought not to be done. That's sad. That's sad. We think now, mankind, we think that to to do things that shouldn't be done is right. We legislate. We condone. We agree with things that ought not to be done. I read that. I'm sad. I've got little grandkids growing up in this world. Depraved mind means an unapproved, unprincipled, corrupt. That's what the word depraved means. And the consequences of, of having a mind like that is that you end up doing what you ought not to do. This is God's word. This is not my opinion. God's word. There's a list there, and I'm not going to really read it together. There are 24 specific sins written there. And you know what? 
they're happening now, today, still. Why is God so angry? This is what it says in verse 32. Although they know, they know, we know. Although they know that those who do such things, we do. We know, we do. It's worse. We continue to do. That's what it says there. And we continue to do these things, even though we know that we shouldn't. And there's a penalty or a consequence, whatever way you want to look at it. We know, we do, we continue to do. It gets worse. And we approve. That's what it says there. Although they know God's righteousness, God, sorry, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but approve of those who practice them. I'm so glad I'm not uh, a rugby player because after what I've just shared with you this morning, my contract would have been torn up. Not my opinion, is it? I'm just conveying to you what the creator of this world wants us to know, to be aware of. The downward spiral. That last one, approve, I'm going to just finish with this. That last one, approve, it means to think well of. To consent, to endorse. Sometimes as Christians, we're a bit guilty of that. Sometimes by saying nothing, it's almost giving consent, isn't it? Think about that. Man was made in the image of God and uh, made to glorify God, and we exchange that. We exchange that for a lie, and we started to glorify and worship idols, the very things. You know that there there were some civilizations that worshipped insects. Insects. It says that we knew God, but we refused to keep that knowledge of what we knew about God in our hearts and in our minds. We were created we were created the highest the highest being, the highest thing that God created, the best. We were the crowning jewel of creation. That's what God intended. Where are we now? The verdict Is God just in being angry, is he just in be- what you've heard today? And it's and, and, and most of it we just read it, didn't we? We just read it out of the, the book of Romans. Then, yes, you have to say yes. God is just in being angry. The wrath of God 
is just. We are without excuse. Not a nice place to finish the sermon, is it? But that's where I have to stop. The book of Romans has a lot to say about the love of God. It has a lot to say about the grace of God. It has a lot to say about the mercy of God. It has a lot to say about what God has done for you. But to hear that, you have to come back. And if you're listening to this on on podcast, you have to keep listening. I've said some hard things. Not unkind. I, I, I didn't mean to be, I don't mean to be unkind, but they were truthful. The truth does hurt sometimes. That's why we don't like it. But that's not the end of the story. God just wants you to understand why things are the way they are. Thanks for listening.